As the uh, worship team has taken their seats, um, I want to make sure you all know about uh, this little card. There are many available today for you to pick up, but this is our promotion piece for uh, the Paul Tripp Seminar, January 20 and 21. Uh, spots are reserved for you, but you have to grab them. You've got to put your name on them. Uh, go to the church's new website and uh, register there. Now, if, we're, uh, it's getting clo- if it gets close to Thanksgiving and you're not registered, um, I'm gonna, not only will I go apoplectic, uh, because I want you so badly to be at this, but uh, we will, pro- we will pro- at that point go public with this event, and I don't want you to lose your spot. So uh, spots are reserved for you, but please take a look on the website. Very simple to register. Uh, Paul Tripp, I, I can't speak enough about him. If you don't know anything about him, I'm going to ask you to trust me. And uh, it, it is going to be a tremendous uh, weekend, and he is going to speak uh, in church that, uh, that weekend on January 22nd. And uh, he is just a tremendous uh, individual, and uh, I really, really hope that you will be able to make it. So, uh, And if you have uh, friends, people, associates at work, uh, please uh, let me... Uh, you can go ahead and get them registered too. That's the, that's the goal. But I want to make sure you know, you, you know about this and uh, be part of it. So grab a card uh, on your way out today. Well, the Word of God comes to us uh, from the book of Revelation. Uh, you find that there in your worship folder if you want to turn in your Bible uh, to the end of the Bible. If you get to the maps, you might want to make a left. And uh, we'll, uh, we're going to read God's Word uh, and respond uh, uh, accordingly. This is, this is the word of God, and we will say, thanks be to God. Uh, hear the word of God. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, behold, I am making all things new. Also also he said, Write write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire, and sulfur, which is the second death. This is the word of God. God. As we now uh, look at this uh, final segment of a three-part series, we've looked at justification. 
Uh, we've looked at sanctification last week, uh, and now we're going to look at glorification. Uh, we've described this as the three tenses of salvation. Uh, justification, uh, I am saved. Uh, sanctification, I am being saved. The process is continuing And in glorification, we would say that I am completely saved. Uh, The process is over. And uh, we would say aloud with our lives a great uh, hallelujah to God uh, at that great promised day that will come. uh, A cataclysmic ending to this age is going to take place. And uh, God is going to make all things new. And that's what Jesus said, actually, when he was on his way to the cross, he turned uh, to some ladies who came up to to minister to him, and he said, behold, I make all things new. Jesus was consciously aware of everything that he was doing and accomplishing. And uh, one of the great joys for us is to remember the future every time we gather as God's people. Uh, I want to share with you a poem. Uh, the poem, is, the author is uh, Linda Pars- Parston, and here's, here's how it goes. Bear with me, uh, and uh, let's see if this will work. It's called, What We Want. What we want is never simple. We move among the things we thought we wanted. A face, a room, an open book. And these things bear our names Now, they want us. Now listen to this next line. But what we want appears in dreams, wearing disguises. We fall past, holding out our arms, and in the morning, and in the morning, our arms ache. We don't remember the dream, but the dream remembers us. It is there all day, as an animal is there under the table, as the stars are there, even in full sun. Well, we won't spend a lot of time interpreting this poem, but I want you to stay with that image of someone who's dreaming. They're dreaming all night long, and as they dream, their arms are stretched out. And in the morning, they have longed for those dreams to be real, and in the morning, their arms are aching. Uh, Do you ache because of the dreams that you wish to be fulfilled? Are you aching even now? I would suggest that you are. In some way or another, uh, you are uh, very much like me, and that is that we are committed to experiencing all that we can of this world. And there's something very, very good about that. Uh, We would not be uh, uh, Gnostic in in the sense that the ancient Greeks had this idea that the the body was essentially sinful, Uh, matter was bad. And what was good was the spirit, and so you wanted to get to the spirit world, uh, where the true forms were, those of you who remember your philosophy with Plato, and, and this whole idea that matter is bad. And what we, we reject that. The Bible rejects that. When God made the world, he said it is good. Uh, it's good to have a hamburger. It's okay. Uh, it's okay to have uh, some fries with it once in a while. Don't worry. You'll make it. What we affirm is we affirm the beauty and goodness of this world, but here's the problem. We set our tenth stakes deep into the sand of this world. And we dream, and we dream, and we dream of glory now. We dream, dream, dream. We imagine only this world. That's really where we're caught up with. I, uh, I, there are, it, one of my goals in preaching is at some point I will be the biggest sinner in the, in the room. Uh, and I try not to, you know, I, I try to make that genuine and real, and I try to think through where am I uh, dreaming and hoping too much in this world? Well, there's a lot about me that does that. 
1995, uh, this young woman was a, a little one in Mary Ann's tummy. And we were visiting uh, a place in the world we'd always wanted to go to. Mary Ann and I traveled. Uh, it was at that time when we had Aubrey with my, my parents. And uh, we were traveling as a, just a young married couple pretending we were dating. And uh, we went to Melbourne, Australia. 1995, great trip, fun time. And uh, we went to the botanical garden there. Beautiful one we have here in uh, Honolulu, Foster's Botanical Garden. Recommend it. The, the botanical garden in Melbourne will blow you away. Big trees that you just can't imagine, the size of these things, and the amazing things there. And what was interesting about the Melbourne Botanical Garden was I bumped into, and we didn't have time to stay there, but I saw, I remember it, an English tea room. And it was beautiful. And I remember it, I remember it, I remember it as the day is long. It was there, I looked at these beautiful tall windows and these fern trees all around, and I remember seeing kind of wrought iron chairs and people sitting around having tea and scones, and it just captured my imagination. Of all the things that we saw there, it was better than a koala bear. (laughs) Tea and scones. I saw it. And I just had a glimpse of it. And then, and then we left. I, we had to get going somewhere. We couldn't stay. So uh, amazing, amazing, amazing thing happened. Uh, about, you know, about a year and a half ago, two years ago, our daughter Aubrey, we, we had a big family trip, and we, we went to Melbourne, Australia. And about six months prior to going, guess what I started thinking about? Tea room. Yeah. This man thinks about tea, Okay. <laughs> And I'm imagining, I know right where it is. I, I, I can see it in my mind, this botanical garden. I can see it in my mind. It's there. And I, I, I could, oh, it, it, it was a dream to sit there and, and, to, and, and it's going to happen. And they had all plans. They had to go see the koala bears, great. Uh, kangaroos, great. I'm going to sit and have tea and scones in this room. And it was a beautiful room. And, and as we got to the botanical garden, there I saw the sign. The sign said, tea room. And I'm almost there, and it's a long walk. It's a long walk. It's a long walk. And we come around the bend, and I remember, I remember the view. There was a, a big, beautiful lawn, a, a lawn that went right down to this pond. I remember this, and, and, and I saw the pond. And, and I'm getting close, and I turn around, and there's the tea room, and it's this really average-looking cafeteria with really lousy tea. And uh, I'm, I'm looking at this. I'm aghast. I can't believe it. And my daughters are looking at me, and Marianne's looking at me saying, is this it? Is this it? And it's just this sort of like a snack bar. I'm brought down. I'm humbled. I'm destroyed. All I wanted to do was sit in this beautiful, gorgeous tea room. I'm convinced it exists. Did I imagine it? Is it a fiction in my mind? It's real. I saw it. Where did I see it? Why is it from a magazine? What's going on? I'm, I, I sat there and we, we, we drank our teens, tea and we ate our overpriced scones. And, uh, and, and I was reflecting, thinking, what on earth is going on with my mind? And some of you say, yeah, you're getting old. Welcome to the club. <laughs> and I'm wondering, what is going on? I, I'm dreaming, I'm dreaming, I'm dreaming. Why? And so I left that place still longing to see that tea room. Somewhere it exists. I'm sure it does. Do you dream for perfection and beauty? Do you dream 
in your work, in, your, in, in whatever it is you're doing with your family, when you think about your life, you have been hardwired to dream of beauty, of goodness, of, of a day with no tears. You have been made for that kind of world. And now we come before this extraordinary announcement at the book, at the end of the book of Revelation, where we have imagery, we have sounds, announcements about that kind of world, the world that we have been made for. Look at verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 21. There is the sight of a new heaven and a new earth, and the sea was no more. Look at verse 1. Then there is, we see a, a city that's prepared in a certain way, is prepared as a bride. Look at that imagery. That at the end of the world, uh, a city drops down from heaven, and it's the, it's the new Jerusalem. But it's, it's not quite a city because it's being prepared in a certain way. It's being prepared as a bride. And so you have two images sort of clashing with each other. But we find that this city is representing the people of God. You are the bride of Christ. Dennis Johnson, uh, who as a commentator on the book of Revelation, says that Jesus has been engaged in a history-long combat which, which Jesus the Lamb has been engaged in in order to win and to beautify this bride. Jesus is the triumphant one over the cross, in and through the cross, and he, uh, he is now creating his bride He's making her beautiful. He's causing her to grow in holiness. And at the end of the age, our struggle, our struggle to obey, our struggle to love, it's all going to come to an end. And we will say, hallelujah. The doctrine of glorification is one of the great hopes of the Christian life. It is how we should be thinking as believers. We should be leaning into the future. We should be living as though and with the reality that death is behind us. Jesus uh, taught so often about that. He left this age, this woeful age, in the grave clothes uh, in that tomb. And he rose to new life, and he delighted in telling uh, the disciples, and he tells us today uh, that he is risen, and that kingdom is now it is now being preached in the, in the forgiveness of sins, and that kingdom is coming. Right now we are experiencing a kingdom of grace, and someday will come a kingdom of glory. And I have to say, I often get those two uh, confused. I'm after glory now, aren't you? We often have a need for patience and to wait. But here in Revelation 21, the waiting is over, and the bride the bride arrives and the groom has been working hard to defend her and to prepare her and to beautify her. What a beautiful, beautiful picture. History is working toward a great purpose. The great city, Jerusalem, has been besieged and discarded. It represents the people of God and the nations, Revelation 21, 25, the nations now come teeming into her glory and the nations are walking in the city's light and they are bringing their glory into it. What a beautiful picture of glorification for all of us. This passage points to what wonder and glory the faithful will experience. This passage also tells us that on the other side of Judgment Day, the faithless know their fate, and we see that there in verse 8. 
and it's described as a lake of fire that burns. What else do we see and what else do we hear in Revelation 21? We see the imagery of Eden returning. We see the imagery that God has desired for his people that they would, they would be in his midst. He would be in their midst and they would be enjoying him. The whole Bible is really can be summarized in, in one simple uh, overarching theme. God is going to be in the midst of his people again. That's how it started in, Revel- in Genesis 1-2. That's how it will conclude. God will be with his people again. The whole trajectory of worship in, with God's people from the tabernacle to the, to the temple to our day. The tabernacle had images of Eden, images of trees in, in, the, in the curtains, images of angels. And now we see that God has fulfilled all the imagery of the Old Testament and it's now being fulfilled in Christ as his people gather and as we are now experiencing already uh, a taste of the glory to come. Notice, look at verse 4. We will hear that God declares that he will wipe away every tear and death and mourning, crying and pain. And notice how God describes it. For the former things have passed away. You walk the soil of an age that is going to come to an end. This age, the the days are numbered. The countdown has already begun. With the advent of Christ, there is an announcement that the end of this age is just a matter of time. The former things. What are these former things? The former things include death and mourning and crying and pain. What these former things are are the fulfillment of what God said to Adam in, in, in the early parts of Genesis. If you take of the fruit you will taste of the covenant curses. You will taste, you will taste the fruit of your own ways. The ways of man, the ways of man are are ways of death. And so we have this beautiful announcement. This time where we, we become so familiar with this time. We're so familiar with the idea of going to funerals. So familiar with the idea of, of, of just how we just kind of live for a short amount of time and then we pass on. We're sort of habituated to this age. Oh no. This age is full of sorrow. This age is full of mourning. This age is, is, is a, it's a, it's a sad moment in, in mankind's history. Piercing through this age, though, is the gospel. And Jesus came with the outrageous statement that you and I can presume upon judgment day, the day that will come at the end of the age, what the gospel is, is you can presume upon the day that is you cannot yet see. And he, he loved to come and to preach to people. You can know what judgment day will reveal, and you can know it now. Through the forgiveness of sins. In Mark chapter 2, we have the friends of that paralytic man and they they open up the ceiling and they drop him down and there he is and the Pharisees are in the front row and it's the Sabbath and the one thing you can't do on the Sabbath according to the Pharisees is, is heal. So Jesus says that you might know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. I'm going to say to this man, Stand up, pick up your pallet, and walk. So when you see him walking out of here, I want you to know one thing. Not only that I, can, I, can I heal, 
but I can declare people forgiven of sins. And their response was, that is a prerogative of God alone. And Jesus says, get to know me. And what they thought was that you were presuming upon judgment day. Yes, it's possible your, your sins can be forgiven. It's possible, but who can know? Who can ever presume upon God? Who can ever know? And Jesus says, oh, that's why I'm here. That's what the gospel's about. What we are is we are people who have already heard what the end of the wor- at, at the end of the time, end of the world, there's going to be an announcement about forgiveness, and it's going to be a confirmed. It's going, to be a, it's going to be kind of wrapped up, and you already know now. You already know now. This is a wonderful news. The wonderful news of the gospel is that we are the end times people. We already know what's going to be revealed at the end of the world. Is there, is, there an, is, there a, is there a response of praise in your heart? Is, is this percolating and moving and, and uh, awakening your soul? What does this news do in you? It makes us wait. It makes us wait. I love perfection. I love perfection. I love perfection. There's something we're sort of wired to, to, to want things done perfectly. And the problem is, it doesn't happen. We have to wait for it. In our worship, we still have to wait for it. In your sanctification, you still have to wait for it. In your marriage, you have to wait for it. In your work, you have to wait for it. Are we, are we living as people who have received this grace, the grace of the forgiveness of sins, and the patience of waiting for the day of glory? Or are we demanding of our spouse, of our associates at work, our general demeanor is, I want it now. Are you a dispenser of sort of law? And it's the law that you, want, you need to taste glory now and through people's behavior. You see, we have a ministry. We have a ministry of, of gospel words to people from this text in your fellowship groups, people need to hear that will come on the day of glory. We need to hear this. There are things in our lives that may not be fixed the way we want them to be fixed. Uh, there is going to have to be within us a patience toward this fallen world and our fallen condition even as we are right now. But what, what this gospel does, what this go- the gospel doctrine of glorification does is it functions as a a counterweight. Here is your trouble and here is the weight of glory coming in the the phrase that C.S. Lewis used. Here's your trouble and here's the weight coming. And what it needs to do, the future, all the promises coming, this needs to be a counterweight making this part of your life lighter. Romans 8 I consider the sufferings of this world not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. We, we are to do a harder work. We are to be more diligent in thinking about glory. Uh, we may be criticized, uh, pie in the sky thinking, but it is to function in our lives as a counterweight. Let me uh, convince you of the wisdom of Paul Tripp here. Uh, Since he's coming, uh, why not figure out uh, a way to use him? Uh, 
Paul Tripp writes, he says this, I give painful evidence every day. I experience it in predictable and unpredictable moments. Listen to this. I guess I should know better, but I am often caught off guard. There is an insatiable longing inside of me. I thirst. I have a thirst that never seems to be quenched. This deep hunger doesn't go away. No matter how busy I get, are you there? No matter how busy I get or how hard I work to be distracted, I long for, listen to this, justice, love, hope, peace, perfection, satisfaction, mercy, contentment, rest, harmony, joy, and tea rooms. He put it right there, tea rooms. I, I, I'm, I'm looking for harmony, rest, contentment, joy. And then he says this, and none of these longings ever gets fully satisfied. And so in my quest for more, I am faced with the incontrovertible daily evidence that this simply is not all there is and the sure truth that I am hardwired for another world. Do you see what we're doing in worship today? You're rehearsing. That's what you're doing. You're rehearsing today. You're rehearsing for a day of glory beyond imagination. You have been made for another world. You are hardwired for it. And God, in his mercy through Jesus Christ, has done everything to make sure you not only taste of it now, but you are assured of it forever and ever and ever. World without end. This is what God has destined us to be part of. Now, there's a great call upon us to then take this stuff and work it into the words we use with each other in our groups, with our spouses, with our children, that there will be a significant experience of dissatisfaction in this world. And there is, there, we, this doctrine has got to function as a counterweight when, it, when we need it the most. This is an extraordinary passage of of Scripture, packed with great, significant meaning. Look at this, and then we'll we'll finish with this. Look at verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Uh, There are a lot of reasons to be part of a church. There are a lot of reasons to be religious. Uh, But the question is, is God uh, what you're after? Is God what you're really uh, targeting with your heart? Uh, I can target a a tea room. I can do that. Uh, I can target lots of things. But is God actually the one I'm thirsting after? In all my busyness, in all my activity... Ask yourself this question. Lord, move in me that I would be deeply satisfied in you because in the end, you're the goal. In the end, you will dwell among your people and I will have direct access to you in a way that is extraordinary and beautiful 
and beyond my understanding. That's where it's going. Now, what we do in this time that we have is we foster a, a capacity to enjoy God more and more. That's what we're doing in this life. We are developing an appetite. We're developing uh, uh, new hunger, hungerings and longings that our capacity to understand and to know and enjoy God uh, will be as much as, as possible as we enter into glory. So be encouraged with this doctrine of glorification. Let it function as a, as a counterweight in your life. Uh, back off the, 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 the hunger for perfection now. This doesn't mean that, that you, you can't strive to do things with excellence, but there will always be a need for the gap between what you experience and what you long for. There will always be a need for God's, the grace of God there. God is patient with this world and willing for the day of glory to be delayed. Can we be patient as well? And let us wait for it. Wait for it with, with, with godly perseverance. Let's pray. Father, I pray this will have been a fresh word from you. Thank you for these gospel truths that we have been made for glory. Thank you for the kingdom of grace now and the kingdom of glory that's to come. In the name of the matchless one who came, who secured eternity for us, we thank you. Amen.